This is Chris Angeles, and this is Right at the Fork, and I'm here with Court Johnson today. Heather is uh, Heather is out traveling, um, and we're also uh, honored to have in the studio today Jeff Franeri, who runs Kingfisher Farms out in Halem, and I've had the opportunity to meet him on my travels out at the coast, um, and uh, was actually very pleasantly surprised at the conversation I could have with a farmer. Never thought I'd be able to talk farms, but what we talked about a lot when we sat down and met was uh, traveling to New York and going to the James Beard House and some of his experiences elsewhere, which we're going to touch on, and also uh, a little bit. There's a lot that goes into farming. We're going to touch a little bit on uh, what it's like to be a farmer in Oregon and what it takes to uh, run that and how it goes. So, Jeff Trinari, hope you enjoy. Did you come in from the coast today? Yeah, I did. How was the... Uh, how, so you're coming in twice a week? Yeah, I come in on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays. And so what are you doing on Wednesdays and Saturdays? Uh, drive around, a lot of different restaurants, doing deliveries trying to meet new people, talk to people about stuff, you know. So you're doing you're doing your own sales too. Yeah. Much. Yeah. We uh, we do everything. So by we Or I do everything. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say by we you're talking about I. So uh, how much of your time are you spending? Look, like how do you how do you find new I never thought of you as a salesperson. I thought of you as a farmer. So all of a sudden we're right there, but how do you do your about building your business, is it the prospecting. Well, you know, um, you know, it started a long time ago, and um, you know, oh, about twenty years ago. And um, originally, I, I would just go around and you know, knock on somebody's door. And it started with Greg Higgins actually, um, when he was still at the Heathman. And but um, it's hard to sell produce when you don't actually have any. You know, if you're trying to figure so twenty it, years ago you had nothing. Or? I, well, yeah, I, I had a farm, but so did you did you grow up on a farm? I, I mean, kind of. Well, I um, I grew up around farming quite a bit actually. Um, my grandmother um, had a really large egg operation, and she always had about a half acre garden. And then I had uh, other relatives that lived out in Gresham that uh, grew berries and uh, grapes and other kinds of crops and. Um, I ended up working on a lot of farms when I was a kid out there in Gresham, you know, planting cabbage and cauliflower and broccoli and stuff like that. And then, and of course, picking berries. If you grew up in Oregon, uh, you're a berry picker. You were a berry picker, you know, uh, before the Hispanics, uh, showed up here. Um, it was just all white people picking berries and picking fruit trees and stuff, you know. So now you only find them on the, on the farms going in to pick them for $4, uh, whatever quantity. Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, basically everybody that works for me is Hispanic, and um, I've I've gone through a lot of different uh, methods of trying to run a farm. Um, you know, trying to get a new crew every year, and do you really have to start from scratch every year? You know, uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, the guys that work for me now, they've been with me for fourteen years. Uh, so, and do you keep them busy around around yeah, the calendar? I, yeah, all year round. Yeah, we. Like this last year, we there was only two weeks that we didn't deliver out of the whole year, and that was during that snowstorm and during that big freeze in December. And, uh, 
But uh, it takes a lot of time to find new accounts because, uh, you know, you got to drive around. You got to kind of in your mind pick who you want to go see if you, you know, they'll talk to you or not. And you got to ask some produce in your car to show them. And but don't you get a lot of uh, referrals? I mean, a lot oh, of people say, or would think it would come the other way. Hey, go see Jeff. Jeff's well, yeah, guy. Yeah, I, I do. But uh, you know, sometimes there's a, a restaurant of notoriety that I just you know like to be there be selling my stuff to and uh so you know if you come to portland or i come to portland and decide that that's what i'm going to do today i usually i can only see about three different people you know it takes that much time to drive around and you know uh, most of the time they're cold calls if i do it that way but over the last few years i it's been mainly through referrals and like you know chefs move around a lot from restaurant to restaurant and you know, maybe I'll know a chef at one restaurant for a couple of years and he'll move to a new place and tell the the owner or the executive chef, you know, this guy's, you know, grows good produce and should try him out. And so it's not a slam dunk when a, when a chef goes from one restaurant to another, he's just going to use you. It's more a function of the restaurant owner, the relationships they have too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had some really great relationships with different chefs and they left a restaurant that I was dealing with and then I never heard from him again you know but uh, or maybe it took four or five years and all of a sudden you run into him at some event or something and, and uh, got to give him a hard time hey how come you're not buying from me you know so uh, when you're out talking to new chefs what do you tell them Kingfisher has or you have that is uh, better than somebody else or just why they should order from you What's- well um Main thing is, uh, you know, because one of my big products is salad mix, and uh, we're doing close to 400 pounds of salad a week right now. And um, I generally, um, people who are selling salad, um, I, I consider my salad mix to be kind of a more industrial mix. It holds up really good. It tastes really good. But there's some people out there that are making salads that are really fine and have, you know, uh, delicate herbs in them, and uh, the, the, those kind of salads can maybe only last two or three days. Um, my salad will last a whole week at least, and and especially compared to uh, the salads that are being shipped out of California, that uh, they totally dry them, and they actually they put this clay substance in the water um, that's not they don't even have to tell you that it's in the, but it actually dries the leaf out so. They're shipping in boxes that are not waxed, and uh, their product has to be absolutely dry. But then the shelf life is not as good, and the taste and quality is not as good as kind of a fresh-made salad you can get here in Oregon. So um, you're – are you eating a lot of salads? Oh, sure. So you, are you always tasting salads and oh. saying, hey – I, I could – this is my lettuce, or gee, this is really good. Maybe I should try this, or – well, over the years, I've found varieties of all the different ingredients in my salad. Um, you want a you want a salad leaf that's gonna have shelf life, but still be a crisp and flavorful leaf. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different varieties of lettuce out there. Some of them don't taste good. Some of them last a really long time. Some of them taste really good. Some of them, you know, that taste really good don't last a long time. So, how did you learn how to make the the perfect Lettuce. Well, I used to go to California to this uh, thing called the Echo Farm Conference. And um, I went there for 20, 20 years in a row. 
and that's still going on. It, it uh, takes place down in Asilomar in Pacific Grove. And uh, every year that I would go to this uh, event, they would do these tours of about five or six farms. And so every year I'd go on the tour and, and uh, a couple of different times I was fortunate enough to go to salad farms and just be able to talk to people on the farm, the owners, uh, you know, and, and I got really interested in making salad myself. And there was this uh, guy, uh, T.D. Willie, uh, who was one of the first people who started the whole big salad revolution in California. And when did that start? That- uh, it was um, in the early to mid-'80s. Uh, you know, some people were on that boat a long time before that, you know, but not on a large scale, you know. Hmm. The salad revolution. Yeah. There's yeah. a book for you. <laughs> so when you, uh, so how did you end up with a farm? Was it a plan? Did you end up with it? And how did you end up out in, uh, is it Nihalem? Nihalem, yeah. Well, um, did I pronounce that wrong? I've been pronouncing it Nihalem, and I've heard people out there now that I've pronounced it Nihalem. It's it's an Indian word, so Nihalem is really right. Okay, so yeah. I wasn't off. You're not too far off. I'll go back to Nihalem. I'm yeah. fine with that. So, how did you end up out there? Well, um, I started surfing when I was quite young, and so that was my big draw to go to the coast. Was that I just wanted to live at the beach and go surfing every day? What's the best surfing beach out there? Well, oh, uh, you know. Short Sands, Cola State Park, and Seaside is really good. Seaside has world. How about Pacific City? How's that's that? that's a good place too. It's not so good in the winter time, but um, uh, you know, in the this time of the year, the wind's blowing out of the north, northwest. You, you can't miss it. As I've been out there <laughs> every day. That's it's and it's strong. Yeah, and in the and in the winter, it's blowing out of the south. So you have to find these beaches that protect are protected from the wind. Um, like right now, Short Sands um, has got that big northern bluff that goes out there, so that's protected from the wind. And the way that the beach actually faces uh, towards the water, the wind kind of blows offshore there a bit, which is better for the surf. Oh, so that's why we see more people there now. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the farm. So the farm. Um, well, I kept telling myself and everybody I knew that I was going to be a farmer one day, and I kept saying that for about 20 years and and then I ended up living in Europe for a couple of years and uh, traveled around and I saw all these people you know involved in really small scale small scale agriculture uh, which really excited me and um, I thought to myself well I can do that myself so when I came back to the United States uh, which was in 79 I uh, Immediately went to work trying to find a piece of property to rent because I didn't have any money. And uh, rented this beautiful farm outside of Astoria and started to refurbish the place and try to figure out what I was doing. And and uh, then I got evicted. And uh, so that really changed my course. And uh, I ended up having to go to work for a couple of years doing different stuff. Um, Ended up working at the Maritime Museum in Astoria for a while. And and then I got this opportunity down in Newport, Oregon, um, a really good location um, with uh, 
quite a bit of space, and I knew a woman in Portland who uh, had a big retail uh, or wholesale nursery, and she uh, rented my wife and I all this plant material, and we started a, a retail garden center. And uh, right next door, we started a produce market, and the goal was to uh, learn and to uh, try to make money to get a piece of property, which uh, worked out. And uh, we looked all over for an adequate piece of property and um, took a long time to find the right place. Uh, and where so I, and now surfing wasn't the priority. It was, it was gravy if you found the place that was going to allow you to get out there for the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, just outside of Manzanita in Falcon Cove, there's a, alternative private school called Fire Mountain School. And um, my kids had been going to an alternative school in Newport, and we decided that we wanted them to go to that school. So we came up to the Manzanita area and looked around and um, actually knew some people who were having a hard time keeping their place together financially. And and, uh, I was able to pick that place up and um, for a, a really reasonable price. and How long ago was that? That was in 86. Well, it's been a while. And you're going, uh, on, you're going on 30 years there. So um, I was really fortunate to be able to buy 20 acres in a small structure for $85,000, uh, which is now there's no way you could get that property around there for that price. And so then I said about, trying to learn how to actually be a farmer and uh, uh, took a while, (laughs) you know, to really, um, you know, growing stuff is, is one thing, um, but actually getting out and marketing it and learning how to talk the talk about food and produce and uh, how to turn a failed crop into a successful crop, you know, it's like green garlic, uh, uh, I had a really big garlic crop one year, and I planted it in the wrong place. There was a lot of morning glory, which is bindweed, and it just wrapped itself all over the garlic, and basically it ruined the crop and couldn't harvest it, and so all the bulbs stayed in the ground, and then the next spring, all that garlic started coming back up again, and somebody had mentioned to me one time about green garlic and how uh, great it is to make pesto with, and braise it or whatever and I started pulling up all that green garlic from it was growing really thick and came to Portland with it and started knocking on doors and now I'm <clears throat> growing more green garlic probably than anybody else in the state so oh nice yeah. so um we're this was in the mid 80s or late 80s that you're knocking on doors with green garlic um, were there a lot well, of doors to knock on back then well back then? The, the green garlic happened in the 90s in the 90s um and um, the real time frame is, is that in 1991, I was growing cut flowers. Um, we, had our, we had our produce market down there in Newport, and we were selling tons of uh, flowers out of there. So, um, and I knew a little bit about it, and my wife knew a lot more about that sort of thing. She uh, had been in the flower industry for quite a while before we started doing what we were doing. And, um, Basically, the flower market is really a difficult market if you're really trying to sell fresh stuff. And 
I was trying to sell flowers through the flower market here in Portland and, and, um, it was just, uh, not profitable for me. Um, and then I decided that I was going to grow peas and we planted almost an acre of peas. And, uh, that was another unsuccessful crop. Um, I'm sure you've had a few that were their learning experiences. Are they not? I mean, oh, so yeah, once, yeah, once you a, learn once, you're not going to do it Yeah, again. it's a learning curve, you know. And um, that year, um, it was really interesting what actually happened. Uh, we had successive plantings. Um, our first planting was probably, I don't know, two and a half feet tall, and the rest of them were just anywhere from just coming out of the ground to six inches to a foot. And we had a big storm, and... A lot of birds were migrating through at the time, and they had to sit down because of the storm, and then they basically ate all my peas. <laughs> and uh, well, so they had they had parents telling them they were younger to eat their peas, so they <laughs> they did that. Uh, so that kind of ruined me financially for another short period of time. And I is I, that the life of a farmer? Is it? Financial is it is it a lot of up and down? Obviously, you're at the mercy of the weather. Yeah, and, I'm at the mercy. And then of, the economy, I'm sure, didn't help in 2007, eight. Uh, um, yeah, that was a big blow. Actually, yeah. that was a very big blow. I, you know, I had some restaurant accounts that were six hundred dollars a week that, you know, went down to two hundred dollars, one hundred fifty dollars. I mean, people were just you know staying at home. Everybody was freaked out financially, and stock so, market was. Terrible. So, so that's affected you more than a weather, a weather, bad weather year was was the financial storm. Um, I'd say so. You know, and we've had several. And it's coming back now, I would think. Oh, it's coming back, yeah, quite a bit. That's I'm, good. Yeah. Um, the other big blow was uh, 9-11 uh, back then. Uh, remember, nobody could fly. The air, air traffic was shut down for 10 full days. Right. And I probably lost forty percent of my smaller restaurants in Portland over that period of time. Really, the tour- they just, tourism was that important to them. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants around, you know, that are on a month-to-month deal. You know, I mean, it's pretty tough, you know. For- and once they start on a month-to-month deal, are they pretty solid accounts? I mean, you're not. Are the other people coming in and undercutting you, or? How does- and there's really not too much undercutting going on because everybody knows that. If you sell produce below market value, you're only screwing yourself, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, it, it happens where, like, last year was a really good tomato year for everybody. Um, and a lot of people just, you know, maybe it only been in the tomato market for a couple of years, and they planted two or 3,000 plants, and in uh, late July early August, they're just bumper crop of tomatoes and the tomato price went from a buck 50 down to 50 cents there for a while. And people were just dumping their tomatoes, you know, a lot of tomato dishes going on, I would imagine. Yeah. So when I first met you, which is interesting cause I've spent time out of Manzanita now and I'm, it's a pretty cool community cause there've been quite a few times where I'm just sitting there and in comes Jeff and vice versa. Um, you've had, a, you've done a lot of traveling around the world. Um, and eating. That's correct. Had some great food experiences. Yes. What are some of your favorite cities and and uh, some of your favorite food experiences? Well, New York City's got to be my favorite food city. I, I mean, 
Uh, Bangkok, which I love. I love Bangkok, and that's a great food city too. But um, it's really different than the whole New York scene. And have you uh, been to Pak Pak and Padi? Have you tried those? Yeah, I don't like Pak Pak really. Okay, well, I, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're the first one on the show to say that, but uh, but everybody can't love everything. No, you know what is it that what is it that you don't like? Um, a lot of his flavor combinations. Um, you know, a lot of them are very extreme, uh, which is not... Which That's what he's trying to do. Yeah, that's exactly what he's trying to do. But um, he's taken, um, well, a lot of his food, he says, is um, based in Chiang Mai. And I've spent some time in Chiang Mai, and I ate about everything you could eat there. And it's quite a bit different than the food fair he's offering and... Um, so do you it, think he's putting his own spin on oh, it? Oh, yeah, it's, he's definitely putting his own spin. You know, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with his food at all. No, it's just to, to my taste. Yeah, no, it's all, yeah, it's it's, all subjective. Yeah, it's or, all subjective. You know, to my taste, it's not my favorite place in town, you know. And, um, you know. What is your favorite? Do you have good favorite Thai that you can access well, anywhere? Trodden Thai, which is on the corner of 6th and Morrison on the east side, that place is really good. And a uh, small little funky place, but they do a really good job and very authentic food. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of Thai restaurants in Portland. Yeah, no. We all but know, but. Uh, there aren't a lot of Chinese, though. Somehow they're, we, we got a lot of Thai, but not a lot of. Yeah, you got to go out to 82nd to get, right. you know. I mean, there's some Chinese restaurants downtown, too. But uh, you want dim song, though, you got to go out to 82nd. Right. So do you get out there very often? I Yeah, I, I've been out there a few times. Um Chung King, that's a really good place. Uh, they got they have a lot of seafood there besides uh, duck and other stuff like that. You know, eighty uh, seconds really turn, so, turned into an interest. So who night. does and and it, it doesn't have to be the comprehensive list, but who does magic with your produce with your with the stuff that you bring them? Oh well, Nastrana, um, Blue Hour, Clark Lewis. So you've been working biggest. with Kathy Wims for a long time? Oh, yeah, since back when she was at Genoa. And, um, yeah, long time. And you probably were, went to Genoa in its early days. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, back when they had a rotating shift of chefs, um, they would do anywhere from a week on or two weeks on, and then a new chef would come in. And that was a little difficult to deal with as far as uh, – you know, delivering produce there and trying to have a regular thing because, you know, Kathy really appreciated what my product and, but the next chef in line might not appreciate my product and have some other farmer, you know, so all of a sudden my sales would drop off there for a few weeks. And Does it, what kind of um, uh, emotional attachment do you have to your produce? If someone rejects it and says, this isn't what I like, how, how do you feel about that? Oh, I take it pretty personal <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, your you baby. Know, it's your baby yeah uh there's this one account i have uh they always complain about my salad it's either too wet or not got the right mix in it and out of the 400 pounds of salad that i'm selling a week they're the only people that complain and and you know at first i was like you know i take it personally and now i just realize that they're fussy and 
you know, I just let it roll off my back. And, or they they have a different opinion, much like Pac Pac. You know, yeah, they, they have a yeah, but they buy my salad, so yeah. Well, this, then why are they buying it? If they're, they're, I don't know. Do they're you ever just, pose that question? I mean, that's a little risky to ask. As in sales, yeah, well, but, I, I don't want to. Um, I just don't want to push that particular account um, uh, too right. too yeah. hard because they're they're just tricky to deal with, you know. But they're they're a good account because they're right next door to another uh, a, account that's really really good. So yeah, well, you want to keep that keep that intact. So I interrupted you. Some of the other chefs that are doing great things with with your salad and or places you love to visit. Well, period. you know, uh, uh, Dustin Clark, um, who's not at Wildwood because it's not open anymore. No uh, one's at Wildwood. No one's at Wildwood. Uh, Dustin was really uh, good to work with, uh, but Brad Root out at Roots and um, and you know he's been all over town. He used to be at Higgins for years, and then he was at Wildwood, and and then Brad was running the uh, Overton Street Deli there at Wildwood before it failed, and uh, then Brad, you know, had made connections with a bunch of money people from Vancouver who were building malls, and so they built three restaurants for him out there and um, La Pella and Roots and 360. Um, he's he's sold off back to the uh, original owners. Uh, or oh, money. recently? Yeah, so... I haven't been there in a couple of years, but so uh, that's, La Pella, that's a trip for you to go, oh, now I got to go over there. Yeah, but nobody else is willing to go over there, so okay. I got those. But you do it from Manzanita yeah. or from Nehalem, yeah. and others are closer, so that's... yeah. That's some diligence. Well, it's really part. difficult to drive to Vancouver. I mean, if you hit the freeway, I know that's why I said I I uh, I used to go over there quite a bit, and then at, at too many times in late afternoon, forget it. I mean, if you got on the freeway at three o'clock, it could take you an hour from the Fremont Bridge to the Interstate Bridge, maybe you know, right? Yeah, yeah which is tough. devastating. So, yeah. how much of your time is spent? In in the van or whatever your truck, whatever you're driving, and how much on the farm? Um, <clears throat> well, last fall I I lost uh, an employee who had been with me for like six years, and um, he had been doing farmers markets for me and all of my driving um, for about six years. So you know, I'd come to Portland. How often. many markets do you do? I'm sorry. I'm doing three farmers markets in uh, Portland. No, I'm I'm doing three on the coast. Three on the coast. I used to do five markets. Oh right, and you're not are you you're not in you're not doing markets. No, right? I'm not doing markets. In, so all in, your it's all commercial delivery. Yes, yeah, all commercial delivery. Yeah. So which markets are you doing on the coast while we're at it? Uh, Astoria, uh, Cannon Beach, and Manzanita. Manzanita starts up this weekend. Yeah, this looking Friday, forward yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. Uh, and you have to do the markets. Yeah, it's good. It's the best cash flow. It is. Yeah, it's you know retail price for everything. And is it pretty steady? Um, it has. Well, this will be the fifth or sixth year for the Manzanita market. And when that market first started, um, it was really, really good. Um, and then it, you know, it's it's got its highs and its lows and. Uh, like Astoria, it you know with the the way the economy went, Astoria started to be a not very profitable market, and we were actually it's th the biggest of the three. Though. Yeah, we were actually thinking about pulling out of there for a while, and 
But then last year that market picked back up again, and uh, I've heard it's great. I haven't been there. I have well, it's one. Of, it's you know, um, it's one of the biggest markets in the state, but ninety nine percent of it is crafts. Yeah. Uh, I think this last weekend there was only four farmers there out of the two hundred and fifty booths. So there, there's a situation where you don't want to be part of the one percent. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. So, um, uh, and I was asking you before, how much time do you actually get oh, to spend farming? And well, um, that's a really tricky thing, you know. Like I've been doing all my deliveries um, since last fall until just um, well today. I brought um, somebody with me to train to do the deliveries and. Hopefully that'll work out for the rest of the season and I get to stay on the farm more. Um, leaving the farm, um, you lose track of what's going on and it's really hard to manage your labor force. And you you really, to be able to do a really good job, you gotta be in the field walking around every day and looking at how things are going, um, seeing if you have any problems, you know, from insect or you know, watering needs or too much light, not enough light. You know, depending on if it's the greenhouses and so. But you've you you've traveled a lot. How do you manage to travel? If you said you have to be in the field every day, how does that how does that work? Uh, well, I have a really good crew of people working for me. They know how. To, I mean, because they've been there fourteen years, they they know what to do. So you you. Yeah, we just confident. stay in touch on the phone constantly. Right. Like I, I went to, uh, I went to Hawaii for three weeks this winter and in December. And luckily, um, well, I don't know if it was luck or not, but it was it was during that freeze in December. And so we basically just shut things down almost, because um, uh, I mean everything was frozen and we were delivering the stuff that we had our storage crops from the cooler, because we have a big walk-in cooler and. So, um, you know, and then the guys would come to work every day and just make sure everything was, you know, going, going right, you know. Um, but, you know, several years ago, I was in Thailand for a few months uh, and I was on the phone pretty much every day talking to the farm and talking to my customers. And, you know, because of the time change, I would have to be on the phone from about one in the morning till two in the morning, talk to my restaurant accounts in Portland and but I'd be sitting in a beach chair with my feet in the water and acting like a big shot on the phone. That's a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, you were a big shot on the phone. But we're going to take a quick break here to take care of business. We'll be right back. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Yelp, a website and mobile app that connects people with great local businesses. For business owners, Yelp offers Yelp Seat Me, a powerful front-of-the-house management system for restaurants of all shapes and sizes. Big or small, fancy or casual. Yelp Seat Me is accessible from any web-enabled device and comes complete with everything you need to run your business, all for just $99 a month. No setup fees, no cover fees, and no minimum contract. Start your free trial today at seatme.yelp.com. That's S-E-A-T-M-E dot Y-E-L-P dot com. And now back to the show. Uh, so uh, some of your... Uh we we were met at Vino. That's correct. In Manzanita. I love that place. So do Dixie's I. Dixie's great. Everybody's yeah. there. Great fig. Um, so where else do you go on the coast that you, you're enjoying? Well, um, 
Um, my buddy John Newman, who I've been to New York with five times, he's got a restaurant in Cannon Beach. I, I like to What do you guys there. do when you go to New York? Well, I've, every time I've been there with him, we did a, a dinner at the James Beard House. Oh, nice. Uh, twice with uh, when he was working with the Stephanie and Steve Martin Hospitalities. Mm-hmm. Great company. And uh, they're, uh, you know, they buy a lot of produce for me, too. And uh, then the last three times, it was uh, John's own restaurant that we were doing the Beard House dinner with. And mm-hmm. uh, so we ship my produce out there. And, and um, you know, I get to work in the kitchen and prepping stuff and plating when it comes time to do that. And and then uh, the way it works at the Beard House, you know, you come in, you get to walk right through the kitchen. And, and whoever's doing the wine with the uh, dinner they usually uh, they have this big uh, outdoor area, um, so you you know you're pumping out these hors d'oeuvres, and the staff at the Beard House they're so professional, they have to deal with another chef, a new chef every single night, you know, which is amazing that their staff can deal with that whole scene like that and and do such a job. So their staff is walking around with all these appetizers. How big is the staff? Oh. Uh, I don't know, probably twenty people. And how many how many seats in the dining room? Uh, three maybe. You know. Oh, that's it. Well, you know, I mean, uh, how many seats? Yeah, how many oh, seats? Oh, 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 oh no. Uh, you know, we're plating a hundred people. Maybe. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. thinking. I, I, was, I maybe, thought you I said don't know what suit. I'm talking about. Suit. suit. No, uh, no, 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 no. No, yeah, there's the we we played about <laughs> <Suits>. there's three <laughs> suits walking around being a pain in the ass. Uh, you know. We, you know, do between 100, 115 plates, you know, in a night. And and so it starts off with people come in and they get a walk through the, the right through the kitchen um, to the back. And they've got this uh, big kind of like greenhouse structure and, and then a beautiful outdoor area with trees and shrubs. And, you know, it's hard to find something like that in Manhattan, actually. And, um so you you get your you know you get your complimentary wine and you're eating your appetizers and and then finally it's time to go upstairs and into the dining room and sit down and um and then usually the chef will walk through and talk about the dinner a little bit and and then uh, I'm usually there at that point in time too and uh people are getting served and um so I walk around and I talk to people at their tables you know why they're eating and Talk about food politics and food and how's the dinner. And are they uh, are they excited to be talking to a farmer in Oregon? In, yeah, in the they are. There's City? there's not very many chefs who bring their farmer with them. You know, in fact, I I think John's been one of the only ones. You know that. Oh, I, really? Yeah, that's a good relationship, and that's yeah, kind of a nice privilege to, for you to do that. Yeah, so we usually go out there for a week at least. You know when we're doing an event like that. And so the rest of the time we just eat out, you know, and, and we have a list of places that, you know, we've been to before or haven't been to and want to go to and, um, and then just see the city, you know? So what are your, some of your most memorable, couple of your most memorable food experiences in New York city? Well, I've been pretty much to all of Mario Pertelli's restaurants. Um, some of them I had great experiences. Some of them I thought it was really lousy food. <laughs> like uh, Del, El, Del Posto, his his big place down in the meatpacking district, uh, we ate there. Um, 
right after it opened and it was really it was really I I was really surprised how well you know every, the one thing you learn is if you go someplace I don't know if you've been there before again but you've been somewhere once the, sometimes it's just not a great experience but of course if you don't have a good one you don't want to go back no I mean, there but, are too many there are a couple of other places you can go in Manhattan instead yeah, of the yeah. place that you went that you know you didn't I, enjoy. I've, I've been to Blue Hill three or four times I, I think that place is excellent um you know what and, about Little Italy you ever been to John's on 12th that's the last place I was when I was there yeah I've been there <laughs> you know what do you think I thought it was okay you okay know? you know I mean, I, there's a lot of restaurants that I can't even remember the names of, you know. But, right. It's, but, um, you know, like um, um, La Bernadano um, was probably one of my most memorable meals in New York City. Do you remember what you had? Was it that? Was it Because I find, I can think, wow, that was fantastic. And then when someone says, what did you have? Well, I forgot about half the things. You right. Know? But, uh, you know, like. He had braised octopus that he had braised in leeks for about three hours and then cut them really thin and then threw them on the grill until they were, you know, charred. And that was fantastic. And and another one of the really good ones there, I had this tuna tartare, and they served it on this tiny, thin little wafer of bread that was toasted that had foie gras in between the bread and the, and the uh, tartare. Um, that was fantastic, you know. You got my mind swimming. Where did I just have octopus that was fantastic? And it's not coming to me. So what about Portland? What are your, some of your most memorable meals in Portland? Because you've been eating here since for a long time before there was really a food scene. Well, you know, Wildwood, Higgins, uh, Blue Hour, Nostrana. I mean, those places. Do you have one specific? Do you have one, anything that sticks in your mind? Is Well, um, I mean, I've eaten a lot of places. Um the restaurant row, which is in the back. Oh, row. Yeah, which is in the back of. When Boston. did you go there? Did, I've been there recent? twice. I I went there right after they got written up in the New York Times. Okay. And uh, that was my we we did the uh, chef's tasting and sat at the the chef's bar. Um, did you ever work with Trent at his other restaurants? No, before? no. So that was your first exposure. Yeah, um, he's pretty amazing. He's. Um, the second time I ate there was uh, about two months ago. Um, uh, they had changed a few things, like they were offering bread, which I thought was a little odd, and they had a cheese plate, which I thought was a little odd. But um, yeah, with the, but but it was all great. It's all great. It's all There's great, a, and uh, uh, he does such an amazing job with uh, the fact that he's only using two uh, electric hot plates in there. I know. And, you know, he's... It, it shows to go, you You don't... Yeah. You can, you can... Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I've eaten a block and tackle, too, and um, I thought that was really... I really like uh, The Woodsman, mm -hmm. uh, you know. I think all of the all of Dwayne Sorensen's restaurants are... Yeah. And Trifecta, um, uh, Rich, who used to be at Higgins, you know, he opened that up um, with... Uh, can you find out for me? They have, a, they have an oysters and ham appetizer, and I asked... The other night, how do you, how am I supposed to eat this? Because it comes with some great ham, a couple of oysters, and a beautiful brioche bun with butter and honey. And I said, I said, I called over the server. I said, exactly how? What's the recommended way to eat this? 
And she said, well, I don't, it's an East Coast thing. And I said, no, 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 I'm from the East Coast. This is not an, necessarily an East Coast thing. So I ended up having eating everything. Already, it was already de- deconstructed and leaving it that way. But I was just curious. Yeah, you, I haven't had that dish in there myself. I've had almost everything in there. Um, you know, they just got a big award for having one of the best burgers in the United States. A trifecta. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got to try that. Yeah. So I, um, you know, th- things are changing in the world, uh, and uh, we're seeing a lot of a lot of changes in the marijuana world. Would you ever grow if we got to that point? Would you have you? Are you set up to do that? Would you want to do that? Do you know how that would be profitable? Or I guess it depends on regulations and laws. But well, is that the, something that thirty years ago you would have said, "Holy shit, I could actually do that"? Oh, sure. Legally, thirty years ago, I would have probably jumped on board with that. You know, but uh, you know, it's interesting what's happening. Like in Colorado, um, I, I saw this interview on CNN. Um, I, well, it's been on there several times, but. Uh, they interviewed this whole family that, you know, the, the grandmother and grandfather and parents and all the children, grandchildren are all sitting around clipping buds, you know, and it's all going to some, you know, government legal dispensary. And then they interviewed this guy who was still doing a black market. And, you know, they're, the taxes that they're putting on it in Colorado are quite significant. I think with the taxes, you know, an ounce of marijuana is like, $600. Really? Yeah. You know, so this guy was saying, you know, I still can make good money on the black market because. Yeah. So why wouldn't you buy it on the black market? So. Well, you know, I guess some people probably do, you know. And then Washington, I don't know. They've been going. They, um, their system hasn't worked out quite. I, I, I don't think, think they figured out what they're doing. They just, no, they still they, haven't quite figured out what they're doing. They stamped it as a decent idea. Yeah. Um, you know, and now everybody's, you know, all, if you go anywhere downtown here in Portland, you there's people trying to get you to sign the ballots, you know, for um, legalized and tax it here in Oregon. And, um, well, number one, I don't think it should be taxed. It's just a plant, you know. It's like Well, but if you could, if you could derive important revenue from it. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, sure, there's that aspect of it that it could, you know, be beneficial to a lot of different things, you know. Put it towards schools. That would be fun. Yeah, you know, I mean. It'd be kind of ironic. Uh, So, life of a farmer. You're, how old are you now? Do you mind my asking? No, I don't mind asking at all. I'm going to be 64. uh, You look good, 64. Yeah. So, would you have done it all over again? Oh, sure, I wouldn't have. I have no regrets in my life at all. Yeah, I, 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 I feel grateful that I've been able to do what I do. And, um. You know, there's, you know, um, I'm so fortunate I get it going 20, 30 different kitchens a week, you know, and see how all these different chefs are, you know, running their restaurant, which is just really interesting to me. Uh, I, I, I find restaurants to be quite similar to farming, actually. There's so many different things that um, hidden costs and the way that people prep food and food costs and you know, what you're, you know, what a chef's willing to spend money on and stay within the food, food cost, you know, you know, uh, you know. 20. So you get to see a lot of different, a lot of different styles. A lot some, of, they, yeah. some you look at and you say, that's impressive. And others you look at and think, how is this actually working? Or Yeah. You know, I mean, it's amazing. 
you know, some restaurants don't make stock at all, and you go to some restaurants and they got five stock pots on the stove going constantly, you know. And, and are those the ones you're going to go back to? Yeah. Okay. Like Brad Root, um, he, you know, he learned a lot of his craft from Greg Higgin and Higgins and Greg's. As so many have, right? There yeah, as so many have, yeah. And he was, we're now about two or three generations removed. Yeah, from, you know, and Greg, uh, Greg's always got stock pots going and. I've never met the man. I've heard a lot about him. I have to. I'd love to meet him. Yeah, he's a very interesting guy. You know, he he went to uh, CIA out there in New York, and then he rode his bike out here one summer and fell in love with the Northwest and stayed forever. You know, and, wow. Uh, and you've been Northwest most all your life, correct? You grew. Yeah, up in- I, I was born in Portland, and I grew up in up and down the Willamette Valley, and. Then the day I got out of high school, I moved to the coast and then ended up, you know, going to Europe for a couple of years. And, you know, I've traveled through Mexico and Central and South America and Southeast Asia and Europe. And and would you rather be there or here? Um, you know, there's places in Italy that are so beautiful and you think, oh, man, that'd be so cool to live there. And But then, you know, trying to run a farm and. You know, I don't know. Hawaii's pretty interesting, you know. Right. You well, know, you can just vacation there. You don't need to live there. You know, my family lives there. I got a lot of family. Oh, you got, oh that's cool. Yeah. A little different. Yeah. yeah. That's a high, it's somewhere in between the two. Yeah. You get to yeah. enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, coming. I'm really glad we met out there. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of spending time on the coast. Yeah, uh, it was great it's talking about community. Uh, we'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks. So, having a farmer on. Uh, who just came in from the fields to do his sales, sales and deliveries in Portland? Uh, Jeff's a really nice guy, and you can see it. It sh- it should be said he's the Portland version of a farmer. Because when I think of a farmer, I think of coveralls, like maybe a farmer's hat, cowboy boots. He was close. Well, he had shorts, flip flops. He had the long hair. And by the way, you're just stepping in. You sound a little different than Heather, yeah. which people might be used to. Oh, yeah, hey. But Court Johnson. Has been. What do you want to call yourself on this? You do. You do a lot with Alpha Broadcasting. You're yeah. on the air with Kink, right, and so forth. And KXL, and KX- uh, I'm your guys' sound engineers. That's, sound engineer. That's my technical title. Yeah, because I guess Heather takes the producer, right. and I'm kind of co-producer because yeah. it's not like I do nothing other than yeah. sit here and talk. But um, but anyway, you've been with us all along, and and uh, you've. You've had a, a nice little progression of guests. We're, we're about half a year through. So yeah. when we're on episode, that would have been probably 24, 25. Are we that far into this? We are that wow. far into it. Because 21 yeah. just posted this morning. Right. Or 22, actually. Um, but he was interesting he, in that he's got a, a different take. He's He can talk about restaurants as someone who's you know serving them and and uh, knows how they operate. Yeah, definitely, definitely a different insight from all the interviews that we've done. Just this this farmer perspective, and then and then talk about the the salad mixes. That's actually I was really intrigued by that. Yeah, just maybe the, I should have gotten a little further into it, uh, but you know, to have different chefs interested in longevity versus what what might be tender that day. Obviously, they've certain types of salads so i'm sure they order from different people but um it was interesting because you know i as a as a salad eater yeah we're not really thinking about that we're just thinking does it taste good and how's the dressing my first job was in a restaurant and so i used to always have to go back to the cooler to grab all the stuff 
So I, I actually appreciated the idea that the salad, his salad, might last a little bit longer. Dude, you nothing's, just reminded me. Nothing's worse than a wilty salad. You just reminded me. My first, it wasn't, it wasn't really my first job, but it was one of my first jobs at the Abbey Restaurant in Norwalk, Connecticut. I was the salad person. I'll say that. And if I did a good job, my yeah. boss would refer to me as the salad man. And if I was screwing up, he called me salad boy. Ah. So I actually spent, and I've spent a lot of time in that refrigerator, uh, in and out. Yeah. And the coolest thing, this is off the topic, but the coolest thing about that restaurant was, I got a few, and I'll go into it some other time, but the uh, the servers were all dressed in these little monk outfits that were miniskirts, oh. orange miniskirts with white, white patent leather boots. You know, these Nancy Sinatra, these boots are made for walking boots. Yeah. So. I remember that. So that was my first real experience with salad because you know what? We didn't, when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of salads. Right. It's so. a, it's, I think it's been a, it's an, been an increasing trend, the, the salad thing, especially salad as a meal. Yeah. No, salad is, I don't know. It's just be a starter. That's why when he mentioned when the salad movement started, I never really thought, wow, that, there had to be, have been that because yeah. back when I grew up, there really, I don't even remember salads, honestly. Geez, maybe if I remembered more salads and less pizza. I, I could look in the mirror and... Things might have been different. Exactly.